true love lasts a lifetime. I promise to love you every moment forever. My dream? My dream wouldn't be complete without you in it. I've never known this feeling. I've lived without it all my life. Is it any wonder then I failed to recognize you? You brought it to me for the first time. Is there any way that I can tell you how my life has changed? Any way at all to let you know what sweetness you have given me? There is so much to say. I cannot find the words except for these. I love you. Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. And don't forget, I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Hello and welcome to our Valentine's Day special. Today we shall be discussing the impact of romantic comedies in the film industry, as well as suggesting a few of our favourites, which we warned will lead more on the side of comedy than romance. And with today's episode focusing on rom-coms, we decided that we should find a guest who's both a love god and hilarious. Uh, then we remembered that you already have Matt and myself, so we just called our mate Jamie Sherwood instead. Uh, we all worked together about seven years ago before going on different paths, but now we're all back together, sort of digitally. Uh, so a very big welcome to Jamie, and thanks very much for joining no us. No problem at all. Glad to be here. Fantastic. So just to uh, let our listeners get to know you a bit more, do you want to tell us uh, where does your love of film come from and tell us a few of your all-time favourite films? Um, film is just, it's always been a part of my life. Uh, going to the cinema as a kid with my dad was kind of a big, big deal. And just the, the magic of cinema. The, I always remember going to the Arcadian Cinema in Birmingham with the curtains that used to rise up before the performance, the Pearl and Dean theme playing uh, before the ads. It was just, it was all... It was it was it was it was a great great time great time to be alive, so it, it, it's kind of always <laughs> been there. And then in my career, uh, I found myself in H and V for a time working with film there, and then obviously now in the cinema. Um, so it's just it's just been omnipresent in my life at all times. I mean, a few of my favourites. It's 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 a nearly impossible question to answer because I could go on for a full hour talking about my favourites, but. Films like Almost Famous, that's got a real kind of emotional connection. Uh, Goodfellas, obviously, I think I don't know anyone who doesn't like Goodfellas. It's just an absolute classic. Um, films like Night of the Hunter is one of the most atmospheric films I think I've seen. Recently, I've been watching a lot of Agnes Varda films. who's a French director. She died 2019, I think. She was 91, but she, she helps forge the new wave and... I've really been enjoying delving into her back catalogue and she was someone who liked to reevaluate films and reevaluate what she'd done and was a very self-reflecting often uh, in her films, which is fascinating to me. So yeah, there's, there's, there's just a lot. There's a lot out there, isn't there? There is indeed. I'm sure you do remember you and I were in the uh, the same World Cinema Club, weren't we, at uh, Sixth Form College? We were, well? we were. It's uh, <laughs> It was odd reconnecting with you because we, we were in college together and then didn't really see each other for a few years and then I turned up to an interview and Mike was there doing the interview for me <laughs> but no, yeah. we part of that I remember you so I think you I think you asked me how have you got that job and I think I just shrugged <laughs> you interviewed me <laughs> you're doing the interview <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a miracle where I am seven years that was really flown by. Uh, time is it's going quickly <laughs> Mm. Uh, right, well, fantastic. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for introducing yourself to our listeners. Um, we'll move on to our first regular feature, uh, where we'll just discuss what we've been watching over the last few weeks. We'll just discuss a couple each. Um, Matt, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, so I've watched a lot. You know, the advantage or curse of being sat at home an awful lot and trying to avoid homeschooling as well. So yeah, <laughs> that, that, that takes a bit of time. So I've watched a lot of TV. Uh, anyone that's been listening knows that I'm going on this massive odyssey through Arrowverse. So I'm sort of like getting towards the end of like year seven of that. 
I've managed to watch the final few episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Disney+, Plus, um, which have aired in the last few weeks. And I'm absolutely loving WandaVision, which I think we'll probably talk about in more detail um, either later on or on another episode. Gonna have uh, to keep spoilers ones... to a minimum there. I'm not. I haven't watched the fifth episode yet. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, it's, I'll tell you all about it. No, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, it is. It is fantastic, and um, you know, it's, it's quite good as well. It's made a lot of people on social media eat their words as well. That people complain after the first couple of episodes, but, but yeah, I think once the uh, once the series is finished, I think that's probably something we can uh, we can look into in a separate episode. But film wise, um, I've got introduced to a thing called filmuary. So basically, it's like every February, people try and watch a film a day for the for the month, which you know, it's been February for about nine months now. But um, so, you know, there's a lot of people sharing sort of like strange, weird and wonderful old and niche films, most of which, much like the Golden Globes nominations, I haven't seen or even heard of some <laughs> of them. So, um, but, you know, it's, it's helped me, to try, it's encouraged me to try and make sure I'm watching a film a day and, and not just uh, just watching TV or random other stuff. So, you know, I've watched quite a lot of stuff. Like, a lot of it's rewatches. So like, uh, like I watched Lone Survivor the other night. I randomly watched the uh, the original 1963 Pink Panther at the weekend, which was really, really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> and then, you know, watching sort of like more recent classics like Central Intelligence, which is one of those films I can just watch whenever it's on. But probably one of the highlights from last week or so is probably Greenland, which debuted on Amazon Prime last Friday with Gerard Butler and Marina Baccarin. Yeah, I thought that looked good. Um, yeah, it's really good. And obviously it's it's a long way from long way from Geostorm, the last time that uh, Mr. Butler took on the end of the world. No, it is it is really good. It's it's really tense and emotional, um, and it gets pretty dark at times as well. And one of the things I really liked about it was that it didn't focus on destroying well known landmarks around the world. You know, a lot of like end of the world sort of things, they always they always show the Statue of Liberty getting destroyed or the White House. Or I loved when they mocked that in Team America. I don't know if you remember, but they yeah. it was exactly that, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it didn't really do much of that. It did kind of like show at the end like some of the results of destruction and stuff like that, but it didn't really like, it didn't use that to kind of to, to forward the narrative or anything. So um, it did concentrate on the, the, the main uh, family at the, at the centre of it. But like I say, it went dark at times and there's a few of their like themes that it covers and like some messages that it covers throughout the film so definitely something that i that i highly recommend that i've watched in the last few weeks fantastic uh jamie what about uh, you? like that i have also partaken in filmery and like matt here has been going on for some time but recently i have been watching uh, well I'm trying to watch a lot of old films trying to fill a few gaps in my film history so i watched the original king kong which is surprisingly good holds up quite well special effects are, are actually still quite impressive uh, I watched the um, Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, which is a documentary Judd Apatow did on Gary Shandling, who did the Larry Sanders show, um, uh, which, again, really interesting. It's on Now TV at the moment. I've been trying to watch a few of the kind of Netflix ones that have been out, Malcolm and Marie, which, eh. uh, Pretend It's a City, the Scorsese documentary on Fran Leibovitz. That's really interesting. It's very, basically, if you want to watch a sarcastic New Yorker talk for a few hours, it's, it's a good fun. But I think the one that I really want to chat about is King Rocker. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's the Stuart Lee documentary about Robert Lloyd and the Nightingales, who were a punk band from Birmingham in the 1970s and onwards, still going. It's Stuart Lee walking around Birmingham now, uh, talking about the old the old days, the 1970s, you know, the big gorilla that was in the ballroom market, King the King Kong gorilla, and making links between that and the Nightingales. Rob Lloyd is from, God, he's a company, somewhere in the Black Country originally, but he kind of moved to Birmingham. Uh, he lives in Wellington now, near Telford. He's a very interesting character, and it was fascinating to me watching this documentary about Birmingham, because we are, I mean, all three of us are from Birmingham, for anyone who doesn't, who doesn't know. And it was just, it, it, it was seeing, seeing our city represented on the screen was absolutely wonderful. There were people in the documentary that I knew. I was like, oh my God, it's, it's, it's Mr. Twist. He works, at, he works at a school near me and he's being interviewed. Turns out he was a member of the band at one point. Oh shit. Um, my mate's dad's shop was in it. Like just all these connections. It, it filled me with so much joy watching this film. Um, and, you know, it, 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 like I say, the, the guy at the centre of it, Rob Lloyd, he's, he's a very interesting character, very good, fun, a, a fun chat as well with Stuart Lee. So, yeah, that, that's the one that I, I was most impressed by recently. 
Well, I, I need to uh, join in on this um, film, URU, because I've been the opposite. I've Unfortunately, I'm falling down the rabbit hole of taking on really old TV <laughs> series and just getting stuck watching them. Now, I recently started watching uh, Good Night, Sweetheart. I don't <laughs> remember that from the mid-90s. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nicholas so, yeah, So I thought, you know, I'll see if that's any good. Didn't realise there were six <laughs> series of it. So uh, I think Film URU will be a nice, nice little break from that. Um, but I did, watch a, I did watch a couple of rom-coms in preparation for today's episode. Uh, I watched Notting Hill, mm. the classic, which I've always loved. Hadn't seen it for quite a while, and uh, whilst parts of it haven't haven't aged particularly well, it's actually quite nostalgic to watch it. It's nice to see a time when you know the newspapers were the biggest source of scandal and things like that. Obviously now you know it's just it's all over <laughs> social media, isn't it? Um, so that was that was good, and it's obviously got a lot of funny moments in it as well. Uh, Resifens is very good, um, but then uh, I also watched one of my favourites, 2013. Have you did you guys see? I give it a year uh, with Rafe Spall yeah. and yeah, Rafe Spall and Rose Byrne absolutely fantastic uh and Stephen Merchant playing um a cameo part I hadn't seen it in quite a while either that one and absolutely just oh it's so funny if you haven't seen it I haven't, it's, all, it's always been on my list so you have things that I wanted to check out never got around to oh it's so good I can't recommend that did you enjoy it Matt when you saw it yeah it's one of those films that I think if you watch it in the right mood in the right frame of mind it's really really funny so it's uh and uh, Rage well I was talking to someone about him the other week and like there's so many films that he's in that you probably don't even realise that he's been in. So you know, he's quite like a, an unsung actor. Yeah, it was mad seeing him. And I think that was the first time I'd seen him sort of skinny and you know looking a bit more Hollywood-like after his roles in um, mm. the Cornetto trilogy. Uh, actually, he wasn't yeah, he yeah. in the third one. We should know. We did a whole podcast. He's, he's in all three. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but it's worth a watch, Jamie, I'd say. It's, it's only got 5.7 out on IMDb, <laughs> so Matt might have a point there. You might need to be in the right mood. <laughs> but I do, I do recommend it. It's, there's quite a funny moment where um, he's... So they get married and all their friends say they only give it a year uh, for, the, for it to last. And they're having an argument over the fact that she always mishears lyrics. Uh, so, for example, Annie Lennox saying, I travelled the world in generic <laughs> jeans. <laughs> or... <laughs> or we, we built this city on the wrong damn road. <laughs> that's, that's Just watch it for that, if not. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much what I've been watching this week. But I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna jump on the uh, film URE bandwagon. I think. Yeah, just start next week, uh, next month. And just put it <laughs> we can we can start our own thing. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. We're doing that. Yeah, Farch sponsored by. <laughs> So moving on to our main feature of this episode, we're here to talk about rom-coms. There's no denying that the romantic comedy genre has a huge following and for many is a favourite. Whilst it's probably safe to say that this is not the case for us, we do still have a fair amount of experience and we've seen our fair share of the films. And we've even got several that we've got a bit of a soft spot for as well. So to start off with then, like what, Jamie, do you think are the uh, the, you know, the standard or like recurring themes in rom-coms that make them they are? Um, yeah, I think there are a few, uh, there are a few things that go through <laughs> rom-coms through the ages. I think the the meet cute is the kind of the idea of the the funny meeting between the two people that kicks things off. The idea of there being tension between them. There's you know there, there is an attraction, but then they're kind of denying it at first. That's principles of it. The idea of a sidekick. A sidekick is usually there in one form or another. But yeah, like I said, I think I think the the, rom- the rom-com is very much a product of its era. Um, whether it's the 1960s and the exploration of sexual liberation through rom-coms or the 90s where you saw um, people like Nora Ephron or Nancy Myers coming in and their style of rom-com taking kind of hold. Or more recently, there's been a kind of more alternative rom-coms with more male-led rom-coms with Judd Apatow um, being kind of the, the key figure in that. But yeah, I think there are, there are certain things that obviously are there throughout yeah, that what you picked up on something that Matt and I had in our notes actually. That more recently, it does seem that the focus seems to be more on the comedy aspect rather than the romance one. Um, I, I think. Do you think that's perhaps to try and make it appeal to a broader audience? Because from working in cinema, you'll you'll both know when you get a proper traditional rom com come out, we quite often see a lot of men being dragged there, don't we, by their girlfriends? 
but then a lot of the films you could class as rom-coms these days actually probably do appeal just as much to to young males as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I think I just remember I, I went to see Bridesmaids with my friend John, and uh, when we got there, I think we were the only two men there who weren't with a a female companion, as it were. Um, but yeah, I, I think the films recently. I mean, I was, I, I, part of what I did to warm up for this, I guess, was look at the rom-coms through the ages and when you look at the more recent ones there's always a different element to it that isn't just a traditional rom-com uh yeah rom-coms when you, when you look at rom-coms made recently um films like the big sick or the long shots uh safely not guaranteed warm bodies easy a all of these films they're not just boy meets girl and you know there's tension they fall in love at the end it's there's there's a different there's a hook that kind of makes them unique and different whether it's time travel, politics, or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. that The idea of a rom-com has changed massively in recent years. Yeah, because I think I totally agree with that. Like one, one of the th- things that I put in the notes, which Michael have seen where I've created a brand new word, um, <laughs> it's like in the more traditional rom-coms, it was um, you know, the, the role of the female character was more to, to be kind of like pursued and, you know, and to be like the object of affection or you know trying to be the object of affection whereas more recently the female leads become more of the you know become more of the pursuer rather than the pursuing <laughs> which i'm pretty sure is not a word but um, we're going to go with it you know and, and obviously they become a lot you know a lot raunchier as well i think with comedy in, in general like you know you've got to push the boundaries to get the the big laughs and 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 to get those hooks as well so I'm glad you mentioned Long uh, Long Shot actually because that's a film that I didn't see at the cinema and it didn't you know strictly appeal to me and then it popped to my Netflix and I watched it and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a really really good film, but it was really really funny and and like you say like the the different roles as mm. well. Obviously, it was the the woman in power and you know, kind of the the downbeat guy. Whereas you know you go back to like the probably the nineties or the, the early noughties when it was always like you know the the, the popular the popular guy and it was, it was the whole tamer of the truth sort of thing so um so yes there's definitely been a, a pivotal change in that one of the other points i wanted to make as well was when i was like looking back over like rom-coms and some of the different stories and stuff a lot of like the the basic themes and like the basic like recurring ideas a lot of it does come from you know like shakespearean plays there was some really obvious examples like clueless which was a, a reimagining and the same with 10 Things I Hate About You, which, which was a, a reimagining of, of The Taming of the Shrew. So, so is it that old that, you know, that it's, it's just that theme and just that recurring plot line? Or, or do you think that we've seen a positive change more recently? Uh, I, think, I think that the change recently probably has been quite positive in that it's allowed a kind of a more diverse range of people to get involved with the films, which I think is always a good thing. I think we're all of a similar age enough to to kind of think when we think of rom-coms we probably think of the 1990s and films like Pretty Woman and though that 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 style of film is probably what shaped our idea of a rom-com so I think I think the the more diverse not just you know from a male perspective but I think a diverse range of films from all perspectives uh, has been a really positive thing for rom-coms and just films in general yeah i'd agree with that i think you know i think they have to move with the time so they to make sure it's still appealing to as broad an audience as they can uh and as a fan of gross out comedy <laughs> i'm more than happy that it's moved in that direction <laughs> <laughs> what would we say the classics are? like you mentioned uh nine hill earlier on uh james just mentioned pretty woman which is it's probably it's not really a guilty pleasure because it's a, it is a good film, but it's one it's one of those films that I watch <laughs> more than I probably care to admit on a podcast that hopefully people will listen to. So, but yeah, it's, you know, it's genuinely funny and touching, and you know, it, it's a it's a good film. So, so you know, what else are we are we saying are the, are the, are the classics? Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan did, did they do two together? They did. You've got mail, and were they both in Sleep yep. in Seattle? Uh, yeah, so those yeah. two, I think of perhaps because uh, I think they were big. My mom was a big fan of both of them, so they were on in our house quite a lot growing up. Uh, for me, yeah, Jamie, I've, I've kind of highlighted three on my list that I really, <laughs> really enjoyed. Um, the first is Bringing Up Baby, which is probably the kind of original rom com, as it were. Mm. Uh, Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, he plays a nerdy uh, paleontologist. 
she plays a ditzy rich girl and it's uh, it's just it's a very charming and funny film bombed at the time but has obviously gained quite a status since um and like i said i think i think you can pinpoint a lot of influence on that one for a lot of rom-coms over the years uh skipping forward a bit annie hall has always been a big favorite of mine i know it's not particularly fashionable to talk about woody allen these days but that was a rom-com that kind of broke the mold a little bit in the I mean, spoiler alert, it's, a, it's an old film, so you should have seen it by now, but they don't they don't end up together. So the whole idea of a rom-com where it's about the journey, it's about the romance, but ultimately it, it wasn't meant to be, I find fascinating and very kind of relatable. Uh, and then also, from skipping forward a little bit further, the uh, Groundhog Day, which I think many, maybe people don't think of as a rom-com uh, because of the premise and... That's what it's famous for. But ultimately, the film is about him and Andy McDowell finding love together. And I just I, I just love that film. I think it's wonderful. I think everything about it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it is a great film. Yeah, and it's literally yep. a film you can watch over and over, <laughs> and over again as well. So. How about yourself, Matt? Which ones do you think of as, as the classics? I, I think Pretty Woman's pretty much the, the, the go-to. But yeah, I think like looking back over it, you know, like Tom Tom Hanks was kind of like the king of the rom com for a while, and then he kind of evolved into being like the king of these epic, massive, like almost you know biopic films. So yeah, and then you got stuff like when Harry Met Sally, um, you know, stuff like that that, that really that really stand out. So obviously, I mean, that film is kind of renowned for you know the more raunchy aspect of it rather than the the, the rom com side of it. So. Yeah, but you know, this this stuff like I think that that sort of era, like for like late eighties, early nineties, is probably key to it. And then probably from from the naughty to get a bit more naughty, I suppose. You know, because even like you know, stuff like the mask is is a rom com. You know, it's definitely more of a com than, than the rom, but uh, but fundamentally, it's about a guy falling in love with Cameron Diaz, which you know, let's face it, it's a hard thing to do. So to move on to talk about some of our sort of like alternative kind of favourites. The rom-com that I picked, again, it's not one that, because you asked me to go alternative, so I, I did. It's not one that potentially people would think of as a rom-com. Uh, it's the film Rushmore, which was Wes Anderson's second film uh, after Bottle Rocket. And it was Jason Schwartzman. Uh, it was the first film he was ever in. He plays Max, who is probably about 15 years old. He's at school. He's at like a prep school. Uh, and he's an overachiever in everything except academia. He's either the member of or chairman of pretty much every extracurricular activity you can think of. He falls in love with one of his teachers, which is where the romantic element comes in, I guess. She, obviously, being a teacher, does not reciprocate that love, but he's uh, a little bit jealous. Bill Murray is also in this film. He plays the father of two of Max's classmates, who Max, Max befriends Bill Murray, and then Bill Murray also falls for the teacher. Uh, so there is a love triangle element there. Obviously, not a full triangle. That would be very wrong. And again, it, it, if if you are familiar with with Wes Anderson's work, he did Grand Grand Budapest Hotel and uh, Darjeeling Limited, Royal Telebombs, all those others. It, it's very Wes Anderson in the. It's filled with sixties music. It's got these fantastic stage plays that Max uh, puts on at school. I think the first one we see is a stage adaptation of Serpico with full special effects. And then toward the end, there's a, a war epic that he puts on stage with gunfire and explosions and helicopters. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's very entertaining. The romantic elements are sweet and yeah, it just hits all the right notes for me. And it's, it's written by Owen Wilson as well. One of the few films he wrote, very good film. And like I say, it's, it's a bit of a left field wrong com choice, but that's what you asked for. So. Well, there's a lot of symmetry in it. He oh yeah, there, there, there he, he does. He does. There's a fantastic Instagram called Accidentally Wes Anderson. Just pictures from around the world look like he would have shot them. Uh, but yeah, lots of symmetry, lots of bright, <laughs> vibrant colours, and just quite odd characters. But uh, Max apparently is based on Wes Anderson, and those stage plays are based on things that he did at school. Believe it or not. But yeah, it, it, it's it, his films. I can't think of a single one I don't like. They're all excellent. We watched Grand Budapest to get me to sort of see what his films are like, and yeah. I adored it. You're, it's fantastic. You're like the rest. It's, uh, I love Ralph Fiennes in anything comedic, though, as well. So <laughs> it's, it's good to see him. Hey, Mr. Bloom. Hey, it's Max Fisher. Oh, hi. 
Hey Max, my mom just showed up. Is it okay if I leave early? Over. Sure, Charlie. What's the secret, Max? The secret? Yeah, well, you seem to have it pretty figured out. Secret, I don't know. I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Shotgun. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, Donnie. Hey, good. In the back. I said mm. shotgun. Get in the back, Donnie. Let's go. Did you invite that kid to your party? Max Fisher. Come on, Dad. There's going to be girls there. I'd rather die. Pull your head out of your ass. Uh, well, um, well, my choice uh, was the 1997 film, As Good As It Gets, um, which was directed by James L. Brooks, who's better known for The Simpsons. It's one of the very few films that he's actually directed. Uh, and I just fell in love with it straight away. It starts um, a lot more like a sort of standard comedy, really. You've got Jack Nicholson uh, playing Melvin Udall. Uh, who suffers from obsessive compulsive disorder, and and they don't make light of the condition. You know, to be fair to them, so, you know, you can see that he is struggling with it, but it does bring comedy to the film as well. Uh, but then he meets uh, Helen Hunt's character, um, Carol, who's a single mother and a waitress, and. I think, as we said earlier, you get that moment where there's the awkwardness and you can see that, clearly, I mean, it's it's made quite clear that he likes her, but you can sort of see that she feels the same way. And then you're also introduced to uh, his gay neighbour, uh, Greg Kinnear, uh, playing Simon, an artist. And they they create a sort of very, um, an unlikely friendship, I guess you could say, uh, between the three of them. And they go on a bit of a road trip through the film to try and solve a few problems and it's just I, mean, I don't want to give too much away but if you haven't seen it I highly recommend it it's very very funny um, a lot of sharp humour in it quite cutting as well uh, it's it's a 15 rated film um, but it's very good very good it's also got Cuba Gooding Jr in it um, he's fantastic as well um, oh, have yeah, you guys seen it? yeah I just it's I mean Jack Nicholson is just fantastic really in anything isn't he and he really does shine in this and it's got some really tender moments as well you know, there's a, a moment there's a line I think I'll just say the line is you make me want to be a better man I well up every time it gets to it the delivery is just <laughs> incredible and in the context of the film as well it's just so touching um, but yeah so that's my one uh, it's sort of a not yeah not the most conventional rom-com but very enjoyable I can't read this you usually move through here so quickly and I just have so many questions I want to ask you. You have no idea what your work means to me. What does it mean to you? That somebody out there knows what it's like to be in here. Oh, God, this is like a nightmare. Oh, come on, just a couple of questions. How hard is that? How do you write women so well? I think of a man, and I take away reason and accountability. And then how about yourself, Matt? So I, I did want to try and pick something like really bizarre or really left field. And then I was thinking, I mentioned before about sort of like the reworkings, like the Shakespeare plays. And, and, and I, I kind of just kept taking myself down dead ends you know and then think something that i think was a little bit different and then you realize it's it's not really at all so but then i kind of settled um it's not the best example of what i wanted to kind of say but um it is actually one of my favorite films um and it's 2001's a knight's tale with heath ledger alan tudyk rufus sewell and paul bettany more commonly known mm -hmm. at the moment as vision so it's it's based loosely on um like an old english text um the canterbury tales by chaucer which I studied at A level, and it's pretty much like yield be filth, basically. So, um, you know, so there's a few nods to the story, and there's the character played by Paul Bettany is um, is Chaucer. So, you know, it's got a lot of the, th the things that you expect to see in like a rom com. So there's like love notes being passed, you know, friends and sidekicks getting involved, um, a strange choreographed dance scene that doesn't really fit the rest of the film. But then it's kind of like put into medieval kind of like setting. So William Thatcher, played by Heath Ledger, is just sort of like, uh, you know, basically a peasant boy, knight's servant. And he's um, the knight that he's serving. He, 
winds up dead so he decides to uh to become a knight himself and fake it and that's how he kind of gets together with the other people to go and do it and then he kind of falls in love with a noble woman called jocelyn played by rosalind sasaman who i thought was quite good in this film she's like you know amazingly beautiful but then she's not really been in anything else since so but then it's kind of like really like ultra modernized so like the the chaucer character is basically the hype man so he does like big introductions and and it's really like cool but and he's putting on these like you know definitely like the big comedy chops and stuff which we're seeing more of now in in one division as well so but yeah but it's, it's just like a good fun film it's it's different you know it's not um it's not like a run-of-the-mill sort of rom-com or anything but you know it's like you with um as good as it gets uh you know there's a couple of points in it that do kind of make me well up every time so uh <laughs> and i've watched it a lot um so uh um yeah so that's that's my choice it's probably not kind of like the, the weird alternative that i was hoping to come up with but um yeah but it is a good example of doing something a bit different with the genre rather than just the, the standard boy meets girl My turn to ride. No, we haven't reached the mile marker yet. And I'm not sure you should. Suppose we pass another night. How would it look if my squire rode while I walk? I don't give a witch's teeth. It's my turn. It's my turn. Hey, 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 look, maybe nobody should be riding. The horse is not what he used to be, and we need him, right? Fine. Fine, fine. Morning. Morning. Oh, sir. What are you doing? Uh, trudging. You know, trudging, to trudge, to trudge the slow, weary, depressing, yet determined walk of a man who has nothing left in his life except the impulse to simply soldier on. Oh, were you robbed? <laughs> uh, interesting question, actually. Yes, and then at the same time, a huge, Resounding no. It's more a sort of involuntary vow of poverty, really. But you know, on the brighter side, trudging does represent pride. Pride, resolve, and faith in the good Lord Almighty. Please, Christ, rescue me from my current tribulation. Ah! Nations. How are you? Lilium interspinus. The lily among the thorns. Jeffrey Chaucer's the name. Writing's the game. You never forget your first time in the cinema. The screen. The sound. The stories. A space where everyone can switch off from the outside world and lose themselves in the magic for a few precious hours. But that magic isn't just in here. It's out there, too. It's the magic that supports more than 20,000 jobs across the country and keeps the cafes, restaurants and bars buzzing. It's the magic that backs incredible UK industries like distribution, production and amazing special effects. It's the magic that even helps our high streets. With more than 75 million visits to local shops and restaurants after screenings every year. But right now, we're in danger of losing this magic. Because despite doing better than ever in 2019, our local cinemas could be closing for good. And we need strong, targeted support from our government if we're going to help them survive. This support will keep jobs safe, support brilliant UK industries, help our high streets bounce back, and keep entertainment at the heart of every community. Let's keep the magic alive. Ask your MP to help the UK's cinemas. So we now move on to our recommended film section. First of all, we'll uh, review the previous suggestion that Mr. Paul Breen made on our last podcast. Uh, he recommended Fandango, the 1985 uh, Kevin Costner film. We, uh, Matt and myself have both watched it, and Jamie's also watched it recently. Uh, so I'll hand over to you guys first. What do you guys think of it? So 
it's one of those films that I probably would never ever have picked out to watch, you know, through my own free will and choice. But uh, being as Mr. Green asked us so nicely, um, I'm quite glad I watched it. To be honest, for the most part, I really enjoyed it. So, written and directed by Kevin Reynolds, who went on to make Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves, which is another one of my childhood favourite films. He also made Waterworld. Um, he also made The Count of Monte Cristo in 2002, which I actually really like. It's got Jim Caviezel in it. And also looking on IMDb yesterday, um, Henry Cavill was in it. And I don't remember seeing Henry Cavill in it, but it was 2002. So I'd imagine he was you know, relatively young. So he probably you know, wouldn't be the Henry Cavill that we know and love today or don't love, depending on your opinion of Superman. But, um, but yes, yeah, so it's got Kevin Custer in the lead. Um, I think it was his first sort of like main leading role. And also... Judd Nelson. So they play uh, some five, five college buddies and they're about to embark on their final road trip. They just graduated from college. It's based on early 70s and then they're facing up to their uncertain futures with one of them being drafted to join the army because the Vietnam War's going on. Uh, one of them set to get married a few days later. Uh, so it's kind of like them kind of dealing with the struggles of that. So it's a bit of a road movie. It's a bit of a buddy movie. There's some really great bits in it. I think like the bit where they're trying to get towed by the train is really funny. The way that kind of like they set that up and, and that plays out, I thought that was really good. But then kind of after that bit, I, can't, I kind of lost my way with it a little bit and kind of lost a bit of interest. That's until they find a parachute training place in the middle of nowhere. And they, they have a plan to try and get uh, Judd Nelson's character to learn to parachute jump. So the guy who plays Truman Sparks, who's like the parachute instructor, is uh, Marvin J. McIntyre. It turns out he's been quite a few films that we'll have all seen, like Back to the Future 3, Short Circuit, Twins and The Running Man. And he's just absolutely wacky and brilliant. And the whole section where he's trying to teach him how to parachute jump and then what happens with the parachute jump as well, uh, where it nearly goes horribly, horribly wrong. I absolutely loved that. And it had me, it had my full attention. It had me laughing out loud. And then it, it goes on and, you know, the, the pilot comes back to kind of set up like the final, the final scene with the wedding taking place and everything. And, and I found it quite, quite quaint and quite amusing. There, there is one thing I took issue with, which I'll bring up afterwards, after you guys have said what you think about it. But like I said, it's probably not something I would have picked out to watch myself, but definitely glad that I've seen it. Jamie, what did you think? I thought it was fine. I thought, I think like Matt, I, I thought there were certain elements of it that I, I thought were quite good and quite fun. The parachute scene is obviously, well, I, I think obviously the, the kind of highlight of the film, and it isn't a shock. It was based on a short film in which that was the short film, because that, that scene is really fun. It's really, you know, there is there is a certain excitement there, and it's very well done. I, I also really liked the wedding at the end. I thought the way that that came together was quite nice, but there were there were times when I found myself kind of lo- losing yeah. losing interest a little bit and kind of veering away from the film but yeah it, it, it was it was fine I'm, I'm glad i've seen it i really like kevin costner as an actor there's something about him he's very charming he's very likable and just in in everything he's in i'm a fan so i i'm, I'm glad i saw it for, for seeing a very early kevin costner performance um and everything that came with that yeah, I, I agree with Matt. It's not one that I would have otherwise watched. Um, and there were moments in it that I thought were funny. The the train, I, I was laughing a lot at that. Um, and the whole parachute scene is interesting as well. But I, I don't know. I don't think I'd go as far as to say I particularly enjoyed it. it. For me, it felt like it dragged quite a bit as well, which considering it was 90 minutes, that's not necessarily a great sign. The issue I took with it, I, I didn't think the... I didn't think they had a lot of chemistry between them, the, the group. Uh, obviously, they they were laughing together and that was great. And then all of a sudden, they'd just be shouting at each other and it just all seemed a bit, I don't know, it just didn't seem to work that well for me. Um, so personally, I wasn't a big fan of it. But you know, I'm glad I've seen it. Um, as Jamie said, it's good to see a film with Kevin Costner in one of his earlier films as well because he is great in almost everything that he's in. Yeah, I think to your point there about the relationship between the, the characters kind of kind of ties in with the other point that I wanted to make. So, so I, I got the feeling through large chunks of the film that the Kevin Costner character was, you know, he was just a bully. You know, he, he was, you know, I think they said early on that he hadn't, he hadn't actually graduated. He was just kind of there for the, for the shits and giggles, really. And, and he was kind of bossing, you know, he was there bossing everyone around and stuff. But... But the, the bigger point that I wanted to make, and you know, we talk about rom coms, so let's let's talk about the, the the rum side of it. So 
when the wedding happens at the end, it turns out that the guy that's getting married is getting married to who is the ex-girlfriend of Kevin Costner's character, which I'm sure wasn't expressly said during the film, but obviously at the start of the film, he kind of rips up the photograph of her with him. And then it turns out his mate's getting married to her, which is a, is a little bit strange that they didn't mention that at any point. But then, because he's the best man, so it's like, oh, the best man gets to have a dance as well. So then there's this weird, where he asks, you know, he asks the band to play a fandango, which is where the name of the film comes from. So yeah, he dances with the, with the bride and like everyone else disappears. It's just them doing this like elaborate dance and stuff. And it just felt really, really weird. And then he's kind of like leaning in, hoping to get a kiss and stuff. And it just felt weird and completely out of step with the film. And I don't, I don't know if you guys picked that up or if it was just me or... Yeah, it was hard. It was strange. As you say, it's strange that they didn't mention it as well. I assume, you know, obviously they wanted it as a bit of a surprise. But it really was wasn't hard. just me because I, I thought I'd missed something at that point. I thought maybe I, I hadn't paid attention at the beginning or, you know, I, I'd, I'd, I'd zoned out at the wrong <laughs> point. But no, I'm glad it wasn't just me that didn't really get that at the end. Yeah, it just, just seemed a little bit a little bit odd, a little bit off. On that jolly note, so, Jamie, as our, as our guest, it's your opportunity to uncover a hidden gem for us. Um, so, yeah, the <laughs> yeah, film I want to recommend start, is yeah. a film from 2012 <laughs> called Good Vibrations. Uh, it's directed by Lisa Barnes-Dessar and Glenn Leyburn, uh, and it's the biopic of Terry Hooley, uh, who was a record shop owner uh, in Belfast in the 1970s. He is the man who... Uh, decided to set up his own record label um, and he distributed the undertones Ever Fallen In Love. Uh, he sent it to John Peel, who famously played it on, on live on radio and then at the end of the song, played it again. He loved it that much. Um, Belfast in the 70s, obviously not the nicest place to be, quite a dangerous place. So he wanted to bring the soul back to Belfast. He wanted to bring uh, life back to the city and make it an exciting fun place to be again and he tried to do that through um, music and through his kind of attitude of it, it, the shop the shop he ran was like a safe space for children young people to hang out um and the film itself it, it's it's funny but maybe isn't a comedy uh it's got some great performances in it it's a really entertaining film about music um and i mean some of the, some of the people in this film have kind of gone on to other things as well uh terry hoodie is played by richard dormer who has gone on to star in game of thrones uh jody whittaker obviously the current doctor who well for now is in this film uh dylan moran is in the film along with liam cunningham and adrian dunbar who are both kind of uh classic irish actors um and yeah it's, it's just a, it's a film i saw at the flat pack film festival in birmingham in 2012 Loved it then, and I've watched it a few times since, and just, yeah, it's a film that really hits home for me. And then I thought, because you're doing a horror episode next week, I thought I'd recommend you guys a horror as well. Now, horror is a genre that I really I really enjoy horror films, and I think there's too often people focus on jump scares when it comes to horror. So I've chosen a horror film that is atmospheric horror. It's a 1964 Japanese horror film called Onibaba. It's set in 14th century Japan uh, in the middle of a civil war. There's two impoverished women who live in the middle of a field of thick reeds. Uh, They survive and they get by by ambushing fleeing soldiers, stripping them of their armor and selling it for food. There There is also a man who the younger woman kind of becomes involved with and the story is essentially the older woman is scared of losing the younger woman and tries to get her back by scaring her it's a very claustrophobic film i found it the whole film essentially takes place in the middle of this field of reeds it's also one of the films uh, that i think really you can feel the heat the sweat in this film and it's not a it's not a film like the exorcist that will leave you horrified but it is a film that is just there's a there's a there's a creepy undercurrent 
through it and ever since i've seen it there are there are bits in it that just uh, leave me uncomfortable so it's a it's a bit of an odd horror film but i think it's a sort of horror film that is often overlooked fantastic i look forward to that it sounds uh, interesting. you can watch both these films by the way because i forgot to say where you can watch them uh, they are both available yeah, on bfi player where you can get a free seven day trial so you can watch them both for free good vibrations is also available to rent on amazon prime but they're both on uh, on bfi player so you might as well make the most of your trial yeah, so that's me not sleeping for a week. Um, <laughs> if it's based on the description of Onibaba, so um, I would say I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I may, I may retract that comment at some point. But thank you for those, Jamie. Moving on from that to our next regular feature, which is our unpopular opinions. So we're looking for things that, you know, films that we like that other people maybe don't like or vice versa. You know, if everyone thinks you should watch something, you just not, don't really give a shit. Then um, as I guess, Jamie, again, you can go first on this one if you've got any unpopular opinions to share with us. Just to kind of set the stage, Mike admitted a few episodes ago that he, he hasn't really watched the MCU since uh, the first event. <laughs> Is he making up by watching um, WandaVision? Still just about talking. But, uh, but yeah, but that's, you know, that, that's, that's the level of well, shock I, I, and I, awe that we're I've got uh, one which I didn't think these. used to be, a, well, I didn't think it was an unpopular opinion until the last two or three years because... I don't think Zack Snyder is a good director at all. But I didn't think that was unpopular until there was this demand, this kind of in, in, in insatiable like appetite for the for the for the Snyder cut of Justice League. I assumed everyone thought he was a hack. Because <laughs> when I look like when I look through his films, right? I mean, there's a couple I haven't seen, and I'll be open about this. I haven't seen his version of Dawn of the Dead. Why would you make the zombies run? Makes no sense. Their their limbs are rotting. Of course they can't run. But anyway, and I haven't seen Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. The only thing I know about that film is that it was referenced heavily in an episode of 30 Rock where, my, uh, where Matt Damon plays Tina Fey's uh, pilot's boyfriend and they get trapped on his plane and the in-flight movie, on repeat, is Legends of the Guardians, Owls of Gahul. So I've not seen those two, so I can't... Maybe they're masterpieces, I don't know. But <laughs> his other films... Batman versus Superman, one of the worst films I have ever seen. I came out of that film thinking, eh, it was all right. And the more I thought about it, the more I just hated it. Nothing about it made sense. It was too long. It was, what, two and a half hours? It felt much longer. Um, the film, it just, it, it, it didn't make sense. It's a film that should have been golden. It's Batman versus Superman. And he somehow made it long and boring. Man of Steel, again, way too long. I think it's probably one of his better films. I think there is an element of intrigue in there. I think the, the two fathers, Russell Crowe and Kevin Cosner, I, you know, the, 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 the conflict within him was interesting, but the rest of the film wasn't. It's another superhero film where the, a city exploded at the end. Like Again, I'm a bit bored of that now. Do something a bit different. Watchmen, again, it's one of his stronger films but it's based on a fantastic source material. And somehow he, he uses a, too much slow motion for a start. Just every scene, slow motion, falling, slow motion fighting. It doesn't work for me. I think, read, read the comic, it's much, much better. Uh, 300, again, doesn't do it for me. It's nothing special. It's fine. It's got, again, slow motion. He's got, it, it, he relies too heavily on that. And then Soccer Punch the worst of his films, just, you watch that film and I, all I thought was, all right, those three minutes would have made a great music video, but how does it work in the context of the rest of this film? It doesn't. It made no sense. It was nonsense. It was ridiculous. I just don't, I don't get the love. Um, giving him a four-hour version of a terrible film, I mean, let, let's face it, the, the, the Justice League that was released was bad. And I don't think anyone's denying that, apart from maybe just when um, making it twice as long and then reshooting some scenes that apparently were already filmed. I just, and then adding the Joker, the worst Joker we've had recently. I, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'll watch it because I'll give anything a go, but I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I think Moneyball is one of the 10 best movies of the last decade. So there you go, there's a more positive 
um, unpopular opinion for you. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm on board with the uh, Zack Snyder opinion, especially with, with Sucker Punch. When the, when the film came out, I was still working in conventions, and we had to build this massive fuck up standee, and it took like a day to build. It was like overly elaborate and overly <laughs> fiddly and stuff like that, and it was quite a good metaphor for the film in the end. Um, it was kind of pointless and just got destroyed two days later. So. Um, I think Batman vs Superman is possibly the greatest film ever made I'm joking, I hated it (laughs) I can agree with you on that one Uh, actually staying down the Batman line uh, I think it's pretty universally agreed that the Christopher Nolan trilogy are very good Um, and I think for most people The Dark Knight is probably their favourite and Heath Ledger's performance is obviously incredible absolutely amazing but for me I'd say of the trilogy I think my favorite was Dark Knight Rises which I think a lot of people were quite disappointed with off the back of the Dark Knight but I I loved it I saw it quite a few times at the cinema uh watched the whole trilogy again quite recently and I just I I think the Dark Knight Rises is fantastic Uh, that's probably my favorite well it is my favorite of the three I don't know how unpopular that is though what do you guys think um it's one of those films, and once at the cinema, still falls into this category for me as well. Is that I only watched it once at the cinema, and I watched it, and I watched it late at night as well. So um, I was tired, and it was you know fairly long, in depth film. But definitely with Dark Knight Rises, when I've gone back to yeah to watch it again since, I have enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, um, for me, that was Tron Legacy. I remember watching that after a, a long shift i think watched it about midnight mm-hmm. and i didn't enjoy it at all but um watching it again mm-hmm. other than the ludicrous cgi at the beginning where they try and make jeff bridges look young and he actually just looks like he's in a playstation 2 game uh it's actually a really good film a fantastic soundtrack as well with that Punk. yeah for me dark knight rises is the weakest of the nolan trilogy but i do think it gets unfairly criticized in kind of popular culture at the moment as being a bad film. I don't think it's a bad film. I think it's a good film. But yeah, I, I, I would say for me, it's it's the one that works the least. I aim to disappoint people. <laughs> and I think I'm doing a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for me, for this episode, I'm taking a bit of a softer approach this time. And I'm just going to defend a film that I like. And it's been kind of like pushed back into my into my thoughts uh, through like the film movie things. A few people have watched it and uh, commented on it. So going back to, all the way back to 1991 with Hudson Hawk. So it's Bruce Willis film. It came out about a year after Die Hard 2. Um, I think when it got marketed in America, it was kind of oh, they they went for the to hang it off Bruce Willis and and Die Hard and and kind of have that big action kind of like theme to it but it's more of like a comic caper. I mean, Bruce Willis sings quite often in film and there's lots of like silly Tom and Jerry sort of violence. And, and I think, I think it just had a bit of a bad rap to start with because people were expecting one thing and it was clearly something very different. So it just got all this negativity. Like on IMDb, it's only got 5.8, but I, I like it. It's just a nice, fun film. You know, I, t- I say to people all the time that I watch films to be entertained. You know, it's like something, you know, if you can be impressed by what they've done and everything, it's great. But but, you know, it is just a nice, fun, happy film with some really weird little cameos and some weird characters in it. Um, Andy McDowell, Danny Aiello, Richard E. Grant's in it as well. So, you know, there's quite a few little, a little people, little, you know, cameos of people popping in and out of the film. And, and it's good fun. And I definitely recommend watching it. But definitely one of those things that you've got to watch it in the right frame of mind if you watch it expecting Die Hard. Mm, I've never seen Hudson Hawk. That's a gap in my. I haven't. Yeah. I would, I, I, would, I genuinely would recommend it. Okay, so we're moving on to news next. So there's not a massive amount of news as, you know, it's been that way for a while. Uh, although things are starting to move, um, you know, in the coming months we might have a better idea of when cinemas are likely to reopen. But... There has been some stuff we can talk about, though. Uh, I did mention it briefly earlier. The uh, the nominees for the Golden Globes were announced uh, a week or so ago, and obviously it's very different this year. Uh, going through the categories, there's a lot of stuff that I've not seen. There's quite a few things that I've not even heard of. Best motion picture, I haven't watched any of them. 
which is... It's because three of the five, well, for drama at least, three of the five aren't out in this country yet. Uh, the Trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah, Trial of Chicago 7 is... It's an Aaron Sorkin film, and the dialogue's just great. It's, yeah, I, 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 I really liked it. The other one on Netflix, which is the story of Man- uh, Herman Mankiewicz and Orson Welles, and that's... It's it's uh, an acquired taste, I'd say, but I, again, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was very good. Matt, I know you've seen yeah, Borat, haven't you? You saw Borat, subsequent movie film. I haven't seen that yet either. Yeah, I was going to say, with, with the best picture, like musical comedy sort mm. of section, um, I'm surprised Hamilton's in there because I don't think, uh, I mean, obviously they've had to change the rules, but I think the idea, the idea Disney had was that it was going to get a decent cinema run so it could be nominated, obviously with the rule changes with everything, this is probably why is it. I'm surprised that Borat's on there. I don't mind it being on there at all. Um, but I did think it was funny. It's not as good as the first one, but it is funny. The one that sort of surprises me the most, um, and it's not something I've seen, so this is only based on what I've heard, is The Prom is on there. And not only is The Prom on there in its own right, but James Gordon's been nominated for awards for it as well. And, and all the feedback I heard was it was terrible and he was terrible. Yeah, I think, I think there are some controversial choices mm. in the Golden Globes. The film Music is another one that was nominated for musical or comedy. There's been a lot of controversy about that film. It's it's received a lot of criticism for its portrayal of autism um, and the, particularly the use of restraints with autism, I think. So there, there, there's a lot of, there are quite a few controversial elements to the Golden Globes this year. But the, the biggest shock to me wasn't even in film, it was in TV. I May Destroy You received no nominations at all. And that was like just hands down the best TV show of last year. And I don't understand how it didn't get a single nomination. It, it was very telling that the writer of Emily in Paris, which did receive several nominations, I believe, um, was up in arms about the fact that how uh, I May Destroy You didn't get nominated and said, I don't understand how I got nominated and, and Michaela Cole didn't. Um, yeah, I, I was outraged. I just thought that was the most bizarre decision. It was widely like, loved, and I just got no love of the Golden Globes at all. The kind of positives for me was that there were three three female directing nominations for Best Director. Um, I think it's probably the first time that women have outnumbered men in the nominations in that category. Um, I was really pleased to see Ratchet on the uh, on the list for drama. I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was it was it was fun. It was dark. Did you? Did you, did you no, say that? Julie watched it and she said it was excellent. I just never got around to it. It was it was good fun. Sorry, and Ozark it. is one that I really need to pick up. I watched the first two series, I think, and then um, just stopped watching it. But I, I was enjoying that. I love Jason Bateman in anything. To be fair, I do think it's good though that with there were nominations for The Mandalorian and Lovecraft mm-hmm. Lovecraft Country, which I've yeah, not seen, is, but I good. like the more genre film films and tv series are getting recognition at the awards and it's not just the kind of mm. the old dramas as it were yeah it's, it's definitely good that it's not just all period pieces they are they are seemingly looking at a broader range of stuff so um although the, the one that's the one that confused me and keeps confusing me is um one of the nominees for tahar rahim because mm. he was he was for his role in the the mauritanian so when I saw it at a glance, <laughs> I thought, who was to have to Rahib in The Mandalorian? Because I just read it as Mandalorian. I couldn't see it any differently. And I was like, I don't even know who he was. How has he been nominated for Best Actor? I don't even remember him being in the series. So it's uh, so that was that was a strange one. So uh, it's good to see Riz Ahmed getting a nomination. And Chadwick Boseman as well. But um, My Rain's Black Bottom is on my list of things to try and watch this month. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that he's been nominated because he is that good in it. His performance so, is completely um, different to any other Chadwick Boseman performance that I've seen. Um, it's very energetic because it, usually he, he, he plays quite mm-hmm. reserved characters, apart from James Brown, I guess. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a very energetic performance. And I, I, I thought whilst the film itself was fine, I thought his performance just was excellent. And I, I, I think it was a deserving nomination rather than, like you say, a potentially kind of posthumous just for the sake of it nomination. I think it's, it's, a, it's a deserving one. Uh, what other likely winners do we think we've got in this? Ooh, well, I think yeah. Motion Picture, Nomadland is kind of the favourite at the moment. With Chloe Zhao, favourite to win Best Director. 
she's obviously going on to do is it what's she doing she doing the eternals um um, uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so, I think Cadbury yeah. Bozeman will pick up an Oscar. Not an Oscar. Well, I think he will pick up an Oscar, but he'll also pick up a Golden Globe. The comedy is always the funny one. Comedy is the one where you never know which way it's going to go. Because there has been a lot of talk mm. about Maria Bakalova to win for Borat's or Square Movie film. And when you look at the other people in that category, it's not yeah. a very strong category. I think anyone has to get that close to Rudy Giuliani should. <laughs> Might at least get something out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, especially as we subsequently found that he melts in I'm interested to see so. the animated one though, because there's a few I, I haven't seen, but I know Soul. Um, I loved, I loved Soul, but then Wolfwalkers. I'm hearing fantastic things about, so I think that's going to be a really tight race. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, like I, I haven't seen enough of the nominations. It's a tricky to, one, isn't it? To really be able to say who yeah. I'd like to win. Yeah, you know, I'd probably do it more on name recognition than anything. So like I've seen the Mandalorian, I thought it was amazing. So The Crown's you know, got a massive following, hasn't it? I, mean, I don't know how it stacks up against some of the others, but yeah. So so it's we've only got two weeks to wait. So I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely gonna miss uh Ricky Gervais. But I do also love Tina Fey. So um you know it's it's not not the worst thing in the world. So um so moving on with more sort of news type things. Uh, it was the Super Bowl last weekend. Um, so ap- apparently they were really good and they dropped the $6 million asking <laughs> price for a 60-second ad to $5.5 million this year. So there's ton- tons and tons of adverts. Some of them are great. There's what there's a Amazon Alexa one with Michael B. Jordan, which is really funny. There's an M&M's one, which is really good. Um, in terms of like some like the stuff that we're more interested in, there's a, a 60 second teaser for Fast Nine, which looks absolutely batshit crazy as you would expect. And also, a, you know, the brand new trailer for Falcon and Winter Soldier coming to Disney Plus next month, which looks amazing. And I'm very, very excited. I was excited about it before, but seeing how well they've done um, One Division, um, it's definitely really up there. And then there was the one new thing, which I didn't really know anything about beforehand, is the new M. Night Shyamalan film called old i haven't seen the trailer yet i've seen there's a lot of buzz around it but i haven't got around to watching yeah. it yeah it's, it's ba- basically from the look of it it's like a family go to a beach and basically they, they just age rapidly through the day so like their whole life passes while they're on the beach or something like that and it's there's lots of screaming and, and fast cuts between things you don't really <laughs> know what's going on but it looks creepy um my god i think everything's creepy but um it's uh mm. yeah it's, it's definitely it's definitely something that i'm Oh. intrigued by to see what it what it could be like so are we there yet this beach it's beautiful my swimsuit is hurting they do look small Come on, let's play hide and seek have you seen my children mom i'm right here he was six years old this morning oh no mom i'm scared there's something wrong with this beach we were chosen for a reason what's happening i don't know i can't think theaters this summer and then the only other bit of news really is on february the 23rd star is coming to disney plus so it's going to be a lot of like the old fox content you get to get a lot of series like um prison break desperate housewives loads and loads of films every more of the more adult content which you wouldn't normally associate with disney it is going to bring about a, a minor price increase um although if you're currently a subscriber the price is going to stay the same for the next six months um before it goes up but to put it into context, the price of Netflix goes up next month anyway. Um, so it'll still be, I think, on a slightly cheaper price point than Netflix. Well, I, I, I think it's uh, a necessary move by Disney because I think, <laughs> for me anyway, I, I bought Disney Plus mainly for The Mandalorian, but then it ended up being viewing for my, my child <laughs> for the most part. Mm. And Mickey's Clubhouse has had far more viewings than anything I want to watch on there. But in, in general, there, there is good content on there, but the problem is it's not very diverse. <laughs> and if you, unless you want to watch Star Wars or Marvel films as, a, as an adult, and you know, there, there isn't a great range on there other than obviously the, the animated stuff. Uh, so I think this is, this is a great way to keep people hooked on Disney Plus, making them a proper competitor for the big streaming services. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it coming as well. I think uh, I've really been enjoying Disney Plus, um, but I think that is the one thing that it's lacking, just a bit more variety. Uh, so it'd be great to see some of those uh, other series come into it. I'm, I'm excited for it. Are you looking forward to it, Matt? 
Yeah, I think it's a really good move. Um, and it's, it's nice to know that Disney clearly listens to our podcast as well, because uh, when we spoke about the streaming services, the, the, probably the biggest complaint we made about Disney Plus was that, that we're not the target audience, uh, other than like Mandalorian and stuff like that. There, was, there wasn't really a lot of new content or, or content in general that's really aimed at us. So I think by opening you know, the doors to all those different properties and different series and stuff that, um, that aren't always readily available over here, um, it'll be you know, a really, really good move. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to yeah. investing. Yeah, it will be many, good. Many Not too long to wait now either. And I'm hoping we'll see some of the uh, Hulu content come across as well. Like Palmer Springs, obviously, up, up, for a, mm. <laughs> up for a Golden Globe, and we can't watch it over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I think from the investor call they did towards mm. the end of last year where they announced all the, the new uh, the new stuff they were doing, including Star, I think that was the idea that um, a lot of that Fox stuff was going to Hulu, which was then going to become Star. So um, so hopefully a lot of that stuff will find its way over to our screens as well, which will be which will be even better because you know, there's definitely that mm. added extra. And it, as you said, it's still cheaper well, than though. Netflix um, with a, with potentially a much better offering mm. by that point. Yeah, I think the next twelve months will be will be really big, especially with all the, the new stuff coming to Disney Plus. Like when Soldiers come in, it's like mid March, so it'll only be a few weeks after, you know, a week or two, probably a week or two after the end of One Division. Then I think Loki's going to follow hot on the heels uh, with the Soldier as well. So that's a, a hell of a lot of content, you know, and it's forcing us to go back to watching things week to week as well, like the olden days. That's the that's the amazing thing, is that. You know, I'd love to wait until the end of one division and watch the whole thing in one go. It but is a novelty, I, isn't it? You know, I need my fix. It really week. is these days. So it's like, um, you know, it's like the old days where you used to just wait. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, but things like one division where you're excited for the whole week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah because it's not airing in the states first or anything. There's no way of, there's no way of seeing it early at all. Um, I just spent several <laughs> hours on getting more and more agitated. <laughs> So thank you very much, Jamie, for joining us as our, as our guest on this episode. No so, problem, anytime. Um, and Mike, thank you, as always, for being my partner in crime. Uh, uh, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks' time with our next episode, one that I'm really, really looking forward to, because we're going to be talking all about horror films. So I'm already working out how to move the couch so I can hide behind it and still record a podcast. We're going to be joined by another colleague of ours, uh, and a friend of ours, uh, Mark Stockley, who's a big horror fan. So we'll be reviewing the films that Jamie's mentioned today. We'll be talking about the horror genre, coming up with some of our favourites. Um, you know, we'll be talking about some more unpopular opinions and hopefully a bit more news again next month as we hopefully start moving towards the cinemas, getting close to reopening. Mm-hmm.